It's the Harland Highway. It's the Harland. I was trying to croon you. I was trying to seduce you into listening to the Harland Highway podcast, but I figure you're already here. You're already seduced. You're already about to get, well, anyways. Welcome, I'm Harlan Williams. This is the Harland Highway Podcast. Thank you for joining me, everybody. We are going to have some fun tonight. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about uh, an invention, kind of a, a reinvention, an innovation that I came up with towards the end of the show where I, I solved a, a, a problem that needed solving, and I did it in kind of an unorthodox way and kind of an interesting story. Maybe. For me, it is. Um, also, uh, a crazy news story. This one's kind of crazy but sad in a way, but also scary. We're, we're going to talk about that. Yes, it involves sharks, okay? Yeah, you'll see. Just, just you'll see what happens. And then also, uh, later in the show, we're going to get a call from Major Lieutenant uh, Corporal Tom Dowdy, uh, our military expert, is going to weigh in on all this kind of volatile activity that's been happening in the Middle East. I don't know if you heard, but Iran shot an unmanned drone out of the sky, an American unmanned drone, and so tensions are ratcheting up, and we have our military expert Tom Dowdy who's going to walk us through it. Uh, it's going to be exciting, so put your helmet on. This is the Harland Highway. Do you know my name? It's on the marriage certificate. I've never seen you before in all my life. Hold on to your airbag. The heartless, heartless monsters. All of you through and through. You're riding down the Harland Highway. Oh, yeah! When you see a fallen star, that means a witch has just died. Clumsy idiot. The Harland Highway. All I want is to hear people say something again and to see people moving again. I'm Floyd Barney, a rockabilly boy. Don't you understand? You're listening to Harland Williams. I can't be your daughter. I'm a machine. Man, you've been dead a thousand years. Why, George, I think he's got it. You're riding down the Harland Highway with Harland Williams. What's up, Doc? Mister, you're gonna lose. You're gonna lose right now. Don't leave me here. Hi. Welcome to the Harland Highway. Oh my God. Oh my God. Roger, stop! Stop! No, stop the music. It's too scary. Roger. No, stop it, stop it. Whoa, whoa, stop, 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 stop. You, you've got to stop the music. Roger, Roger, stop. Stop, 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 stop. Thank you, thank you. Okay, we all know that music. That's the Jaws music, okay? And the reason I'm playing it is because I've got a crazy news story, and I just, you know, I wanted to set the tone. That music is so masterful. It just, you hear that, and you already know there's there's this ominous danger coming your way so uh before we can we can play more of that theme song that that jaws music we have to play the appropriate theme song for the crazy news story because this one is this one is uh, this one is sharky let me tell you that one roger hit hit our crazy news story theme and then we'll come back to maybe one of the best themes of all time hit it oh! 
The Harland Highway. Crazy news story. That's weird. Wow. That's strange stuff. I think you're crazy. Okay. Okay. So we, we, we officially hit our theme song. Okay. But now, Roger, as I read the headline for this crazy news story, bring back in one of the best theme musics of all time, the theme from the movie Jaws, and then I'll, I'll read our crazy, scary headline. Go for it. Oh, God. <laughs> Just so frightening. Listen to that. You just know it's coming, right? God, one of the best ever. Wow. Okay, let let's enough with, with the the frightening horror music. What a theme. But let, let's get to the crazy news story here, man. And th- this is all this is a tearjerker. Like shark attacks are bad enough, but wait till you hear how this one went down. Here's the headline. California man killed an apparent Hawaii shark attack was quote good-hearted family man and here it comes who just retired friends say oh come on man i know you sharks are cold-blooded but really what the f i mean it's every one of us has that, that fear of being you know attacked by a shark right but at least do it in our prime. At least do it when we're we're in the middle of our our nine to five rat race job, right? We put in thirty years at a desk, and somewhere in the middle of it, fifteen years in, we decide to go on a trip and get attacked by a shark, and we're taken out. And the only good news is we don't have to put in the other fifteen years. But not this guy. Here it is. You ready? The California man who was killed in an apparent shark attack while swimming in Hawaii on Saturday was a, quote, good-hearted family man who led an active lifestyle, according to his friends. The victim, 65-year-old Thomas Smiley. I mean, even his name is friendly. Really, Shark? You have to go after a guy with the name Smiley in his name? How about how about Billy the Asshole? Couldn't, couldn't, you, couldn't you attack that guy? Thomas Smiley? Couldn't you go after uh, Johnny Pain in the Ass or, uh, you know, Donald the Asshole? Thomas Smiley was a longtime optometrist and resident of Granite Bay, about 25 miles northeast of Sacramento. Smiley had flown into Maui with his wife two weeks before the fatal attack, so he was setting himself up for it. He had just retired this year. Oh, my God, my heart's breaking. How how freaking unfair is that, man? It's just not fair. Oh, God, Let, let's, let's read more into this. Quote, he was a good-hearted man. He was one of those people... He would ask his parents, how are you doing? And basically wanted to know how you were doing. 
Not because it was conversation. God, this is just one of those nice guys who went through life, probably didn't didn't step on anyone's toes. Everyone at the office loved him. Had a nice little family. They say Smiley loves skiing, scuba diving, and organized racing events. But Smiley's biggest passion, oh, God, here we go, was his family. Oh, God. Did somebody send this this little memo to the shark? You know, the shark couldn't have, uh, you know, with all the people in the ocean, he couldn't have taken like a, no offense if you're a cab driver, but a, a lonely, single, old, overweight, greasy cab driver with no real connections to the world. Got to gotta take the loving, friendly family guy from the community. Quote, when he became a grandfather, that tender side that was in there and that he always kept suppressed, he couldn't keep it suppressed anymore. He loved his children and he really loved his grandchildren, said a family member. Oh, God. So now not only is a nice guy, he's a guy that maybe kind of kept his softer side hidden for many years and then was finally kind of so moved by having grandchildren that it, it finally allowed him to open up. You know, he's one of those sheltered people who didn't maybe know how to express or emote. And he finally hit that point in his life where he's like, I found a way to be open. I found a way to talk to people. All these years, I haven't been able to reach out and connect. And now, somehow, somehow, now I've, I've, I've reached this milestone. It's just beautiful. I've got so much lost time to make up for. What's that music? Oh, my God, what's that sound? Oh, my God. Witnesses cited by the Hawaii News told Maui police that Smiley was swimming about 60 yards from the shore. When the attack occurred, emergency responders were called to the scene around 8.45 a.m. Well, you know, isn't that a little early to be snorkeling? Isn't that right around when the big sharks are looking for a McHappy breakfast meal or something? Don't we all wake up a little hungry? I mean, if you're a shark and you've been swimming around in the black abyss all night and you... You can smell the fish, and you can hear all the fish, but you can't see the fish. I'd be like if you were laying in bed and, and cheeseburgers were floating around your head while you laid in bed, and you're, you're reaching out for them, but you couldn't grab them. But then when those first rays of sunlight came through the window in the morning, oh, there they were. Game over. Snap, snap, snap. And that's probably what the sharks do, man. The, the, the you know... A lot of them probably have to wait till the daytime to lay eyes on some meat. And here's a here's a guy named Smiley. How much of a fight is that guy gonna put up? There's about probably 185 to 220 pounds of meat. There's your uh, Smiley McMuffin right there, just floating right by. I'm why not? The Maui police said responders pulled Smiley ashore and tried to revive him. He was pronounced dead at the scene. The last fatal shark attack in Hawaii was in 2015 when a snorkeler off Maui was killed. Oh, God.
You know, you, you, it's just sad, man. You can't even laugh about it. And I'm wanting to talk, man. I, 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 I take risks. I swim. I mean, I was just down in Florida like last week. I'm swimming around in, in shark-infested waters. And, and a wise man said to me once, said, said, you know, people go, are there sharks in that water? And this, this guy, he was a local guy, he goes, he goes, sir, if you're in the ocean, there's sharks. I'm like, what? You may not know it, but there are sharks around you. When you swim in the ocean, you are in the shark's domain. You may not see them. You may not hear them. But there are always sharks around. And I just went, man, that's, that's kind of true. Why wouldn't there? There's always birds in the sky, right? There's always fish around. Why wouldn't there be sharks? Of course they're there. But it's just the odds. You, you, you factor in what are the odds of me getting attacked by a shark? I mean, they, they see you'd, you'd have a better chance of getting hit by lightning 12 times or something like that. But still, when that moment comes... You're probably, you know, in the shark's mouth going, oh, Christ, I should have tried to get hit by lightning. God, damn, at least lightning would have just zapped me and I'd be dead. Now I'm getting eaten alive. Now I know what that cheeseburger feels like. Chomp, chomp. Oh, God. So, you know, there you go, man. And it's weird when you when you're swimming in the ocean too. You know, you you feel somehow you feel immune or empowered or something. You, you think ah, there's there there's, there may be sharks, but they're not gonna hit me. I may see a shark go by or this or that. But but that's the that's the thing. Nature's so unpredictable. You just never know, man. So these are the chances we take. And uh, it's just just sad that this guy, it happened right when he was ready to wind down and retired for two weeks after putting in the slogging into work for his whole life. You know, just really to make some money, put some food on the table and basically fatten himself up for this big fat shark to come and give him his final retirement party. Be careful out there, gang. Holy saltwater meatloaf. Uh, Mr. Smiley? Uh, Mr. Smiley, sir? Yeah, there's a big giant fin coming up behind you. Mr. S- can you hear me? Mr. Smiley? Oh my god, I think there's a shark. Mr. There's a great big giant fin. Oh my god, Mr. Smiley! Mr. Smiley! Ah, fuck it, let's go for breakfast. One cheeseburger with everything coming up. Hello? Hello? Oh, hey, Harlan. It's Gabriel Daigle from Long Beach, California. Uh, Boy, so many things swimming through my head as to what I should say. It sure has been a great ride down the highway. Um... I was looking back, and I started listening to you after um, you were on the Supreme Court of Comedy. You did a guest spot on that show, and that was in 2010. So I think I was there before the first hundred. But uh, I've made my fandom and my appreciation of you uh, really well known over the years. You are amazing. 
I've referred to you as a genius. You don't seem to like that. I'm still going to call you that because I love you. And I want to thank you for Dr. Ascot and uh, Timmy, that friggin' little campfire boy, and uh, of Charlie Lee, of course. And I want to thank you for uh, Mr. Featherstone, Mr. Featherstone, <laughs> the whole cavalcade of Harlan's crazy inner voices that I just can't get enough of. Uh, most of all. Uh, and this would be my uh, request on the way out. I really would appreciate it if you put a call out to uh, our friend from Camp Pendlington, Major, Lieutenant, Colonel, Lieutenant, French Chef, Major Tom Dowdy, and ask him what he thinks about the world's current crisis. Uh, he's the one that just kills me every time you do him. And I really want to thank you for everything. You know that me and my wife, Carol, will be right in front in Brea and in Irvine the next time you come around. And I will have that Nestle Quick shirt on just for you to laugh about. And we will have a crazy good time together. Thank you for everything, Harlan. I love you with all my heart. Best of luck with everything you do. I will be there to follow you every step of the way. Uh, but for now, I'm going to finish up eating my bowl of chicken. Chow mein, baby. Oh, my gosh. What a what a wonderful voicemail from Gabriel. Thank you so much. Gabriel and Carol have, just like he stated, have been just such true fans of not just the Harlan Highway, but, but my stand-up shows and everything I do. And uh, I just want you to know how much it means to me and your heartfelt uh, message and the words of, of love and support and just, you know, this is this is part of why entertainers do what they do. We, we do it because we, we have this artistic drive and we got to get stuff out. But we also know that we're hoping that what we put out there lands on the ears of someone who gets it and appreciates it and understands it and wants it and and covets it and 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 you know all these things just like all of us have our favorite artists and 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 you know musicians and comedians and and so to to be honored to be just in on somebody's hit list or playlist that that I'm someone that they they derive a lot of pleasure and entertainment from and laughter and joy. That just warms my heart. So Gabriel and Carol, thank you. You've always been there. And, uh, and you know, fittingly, uh, I was just about to get into the whole kind of state of world affairs and the military and uh, just switch gears and uh, do this, uh, uh, do that. All right. So uh, let's do that. All right, let let's switch gears. Let's go from one one dangerous element to another. Uh, if you were watching the news this week, you saw that uh, our good old friends Iran, good old Iran over there in the Middle East, um, they were up to their old hijinks. You know, kind of if you believe the propaganda that they spread terror. And I'm not saying I believe it or I, I don't believe it. As, as everything in life, there's probably a little bit of a mixture of, of all things. 
There's probably the element of Iran doing very bad things and the element of the good old USA, you know, making sure that there's a monster in the world to keep everyone scared. Um, So I take everything I see or hear in the news with a grain of salt and the real story behind it and blah, blah, blah. Um, You know, I think you got it these days. You just there's so many inaccuracies and falsehoods that are that are that are, um, you know, relayed to we the people. And I'm not just talking politics. I'm talking everything, man. You just we, we live in a world where the art of of caring and being factual and just reporting the facts has kind of gone out the window. Um, and that's a sad testament of the times. But uh, but but at any rate, it seems uh, that uh, there's video footage of Iran shooting a, a multi-million dollar uh, unmanned drone out of the air. And... Um, you know, they, they, they have to be accountable in some way. And so uh, according to news reports and according to Donald Trump himself, he, he kind of lined Iran up in his, in his crosshairs. He had birds in the air. He had ships in the water. He had, he had missiles pointed, locked and loaded and ready to go. And, uh, and he changed his mind. He, he, he kind of stood down at the last second. He's like, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to uh, escalate this conflict. And uh and in a way you've got to uh you've got to admire that. It's it's like I'm always a guy when somebody slaps you you know and when there's a lot at stake and we're talking about world harmony and order I I'm kind of a a, a strong supporter of you got you got to hit back or else you know the the person that hit you thinks they can get away with it. Right. But uh, but in this case, Donald Trump, much, much to his credit, and I would give the same credit to any political leader. He kind of assessed the situation and said, look, they shut down an unmanned drone that was worth a lot of money. OK. But what do we always say in life? Look, money, money and, and things can be replaced. Human life can't. And 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 Trump was advised by his his intelligence people that if he if he did a a a strike that 150 or more people or Iranian people would be killed and uh Trump kind of balanced those two things and thought you know as much as I don't like uh, the US being attacked and provoked and poked and prodded it was an unmanned aircraft and you know, if, if you got to put yourself in Trump's shoes, if you're the president, would you want the blood of a 150 or 200 people on your conscience, on your on your hands? You know, even though they were, quote unquote, the enemy, you got to figure these soldiers probably have family and friends and children. And, and, and so I think Trump showed a lot of restraint. I hope it doesn't send the wrong message to uh, Iran. But I think Trump was the bigger man, and he, he held back, which is commendable. You know, I, I would say that about any political leader from any country. Um, and so you just hope that Iran doesn't doesn't think, ah, eh, we, you know, we, ha, ha, we, we can do whatever we want. You're afraid of us. I mean, I hope Iran. They've got to know 
that if the United States wanted to obliterate Iran, they could they could they could make Iran go away in probably less than 24 hours, if probably shorter. Okay. I mean, I don't know if you were around for the Gulf War, the the uh, you know the war with Iraq with Saddam Hussein and Saddam Hussein's special forces and. And George Bush introduced this thing, the, sh- the shock and awe campaign. And I don't know if you watched it live on CNN, but basically almost overnight, you know, the United States lit up Iraq and filled the sky with, you know, stealth jet fighters and cruise missiles and you name it. And Iraq's mighty special superior Majesty's forces were like running for the cracks in the wall like cockroaches. I mean, this thing was over almost as soon as it started. And this was a country like Iran touting their military and flexing and saying they were the they had the the power to destroy the world. And and the United States just leveled them in, in like a night pretty much. As much as I'm not an advocate of war and don't like to see people die, it was quite awe-inspiring to see just how quickly and how tactfully, I don't mean tactfully as in terms of manners, I mean tactically, I should say, that uh, the United States struck with such precision and overwhelming power. It was just like, good God. If that wasn't a message to the world, like, we don't want to get on the wrong side of the United States. So, so anyways... Uh, it was just something interesting in the news, and I'm blabbing on about it. But what I, what I really wanted to do is we have uh, we have a uh, a specialist in in the th- in the theater of war. Uh, we have a gentleman who calls into the show from time to time, or we call him and and we talk to him about these very matters uh, about the very delicate game of war. And this is a decorated serviceman. He's uh, he was in I think he was in K- Korea. I think he was in Vietnam. I think he was in Iraq. I think he was in Afghanistan. I, I don't know if there's a war he wasn't in. I'm talking about uh, Commander Lieutenant uh, Third Third Corporal uh, Inspector uh, Colonel Tom Dowdy uh, from uh, Camp Pendleton over here on the uh, west coast of. Uh, California he's still an active service member. He still uh, engages and advises, and uh, he's still uh, right in the mix. And so we thought we'd, uh, rather than me drone on about it, no pun intended, we'd get uh, an expert's uh, point of view on this type of uh, antagonistic war play that, uh, that Iran is engaging in. So without further ado, let's, uh, let's get him on the line, Raj. Is he there? Okay, good. Here we go. Let's connect to uh, French Commander uh, Inspector Left Left Corporal uh, Tom Dowdy. Uh, h- hello, are you there, uh, sir? Y- yes, sir. Is uh, that uh, Major uh, Tom uh, Corporal Lieutenant uh, First Officer uh, Tom Dowdy? I'm, I'm sorry, sir? I don't like to repeat myself. You are good to go, civilian. Sir, are, are you there? I said you are good to go. That's three times. One more time, and you will be court-martialed, civilian. 
Sir, yes, sir. Uh, this is Harlan Williams from the uh, the Harlan. I know who you are. Okay. Don't think that anybody that calls Corporal Major Lieutenant French Master Quarter Starter Tom Dowdy doesn't know who's on the line. If you don't think I have surveillance equipment to track what's coming in and out of my Sir, what, what was that? I don't like to repeat myself. Now, how may I be of service to you, civilian? Sir, you, just so you know, you've already been of service to uh, all of us. and I'm well aware. I am well aware of the time and the duty I have put into this country, the United States of America. Now, if you have an agenda... Yes, sir. I didn't mean to dilly dally. I know you, your time is uh, is important, and uh, we, we wanted to talk to you, sir, about the state of affairs in the Middle East and the uh, turbulence, uh, the the conflict that seems to have arisen uh, recently. Uh, well, it's kind of an ongoing conflict, but recently there was a flare up uh, with the uh, the Iranian National Guard knocking one of our very expensive drones out of the sky and. Pardon me, sir? Flock of Seagulls. They had a song called I Ran. I think that was called I Run, sir. Yes, sir. I didn't mean to correct you. And now let me get back to Iran, okay? Iran, irritation, reaming, America's nutsack. What, 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 what was that, sir? You heard me, civilian. Iran, I, irritation, R, reaming, A, America's N. What, wait, are you saying that the letters in the name of the, of the Iran, you, you've dedi dedicated words to them? Irritation reaming America's nutsack, civilian. Wow, that's a little, that's a little uh, disrespectful, I think, sir. Not as disrespectful as pointing your fucking third grade play school Legoland out of date, out of touch. Oh, yeah, a starry 
white night so filled the stars it looks like pippy long stockings pulled down her pants and her freckly ass cheeks are smiling down on the world sir what is what when these What is with Rebel Wilson? Irritation reaming America's nutsack. Sir, are you saying that the Iranians have an antiquated uh, weaponry system and you're, you're, it sounds like you're appalled that they were able to take something out of uh, the sky that was so advanced? Well, think about it. Are you kidding me? This is the United States of America military. We have the most advanced aeronautics military equipment on the face Sir, what, what, what is, did you say your mushroom cap glistening in the corner of Rebel Wilson's left eye? Bingo, civilian. Sir, I, listen, I, with all due respect. No, with all due, don't you, don't you goddamn all due respect me, civilian. I'm Corporal Major Lieutenant, Third Commander, Chief in Arms, Lieutenant Corporal, French Commander, now, I have been to the Iraqi and Iranian theater of war. Okay, I was there for shock and awe, which I heard you mention earlier. Shock and awe. I crawled through those desert dens on my belly like a pregnant scorpion with her fallopian tubes tied and 3,000 little baby scorpions waiting to pop out of my hairy hairy United States Marine womb hole. Y your womb hole, sir? You heard me, civilian. What is a womb hole, sir? Let me finish. Now I crawled around on those fucking hot desert sands in the middle of the night. In the middle of the day when the sun was coming down where you could almost see the melanoma dripping off the sunbeams. It was hotter than Rebel Wilson's bicycle seat after she drove 17 miles to a Burger King drive-thru that was just about to shut down because of a cockroach scare. Sir, what? Shut up. I'm not finished. Now I crawled through that desert under those fucking sunny skies of Iraq. 
and that sun baked my skin so that I looked like a cracker barrel blackened catfish crawling along the beaches of a Lake Erie covered in pollution and covered with fucking hatred for the Iraqi secret army. Sir, I, I understand you did some time during the, the, the shock and awe campaign, and I understand you, you, you had to have uh, endured just the most adverse conditions, crawling in, in, in blazing sun and in the heat. And, and you know what, soldier? No one was shooting drones down back then because we didn't have drones. You know what we had? We had men. We had men in aircraft, and if you're going to send aircraft up into the sky with nothing in them, well, you know what my definition of nothing is, civilian? What, what would that be, sir? Listen real close. How do you mean, sir? Put your ear right up to the telephone and listen real close, because I'm going to give you my interpretation of nothing. Sir? I said, put your ear up to the phone, civilian. Y yes, sir. My ear is right at the phone, and I'm I'm listening for for nothing. I said my interpretation of nothing. Now you tell me if you can hear this. Sir. It sounded like an air current, sir. That's what we call a silent fart. Sir, sir, did you just do a silent fart into the phone? Bingo, civilian. And that is my interpretation of nothing. If you're going to put military aeronautics into the sky over enemy territory, you better goddamn put a good old-fashioned 100% lemonade, fucking prego pasta sauce, Mary Callender's meatloaf-loving fucking American airman inside of that fucking aircraft. If you're going to put nothing inside of it, if you're going to send an unmanned drone, then you might as well just send up a good old-fashioned hickory-smoked In-N-Out burger silent fart. Sir, sir, I, 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 did you just do a silent fart right into the phone? I am making a point. Y your point being, sir, that you're saying that we shouldn't have unmanned drones or, 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 or aircraft because they're not as capable as a, 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 an aircraft with a human being manning the controls? What I'm saying, soldier, is that it's an insult. I know good, high-quality airmen. I know good, high-quality airmen. Good God-fearing, meatloaf-eating, IHOP, pancake, rooty tooty fresh and fruity, Denny's full moon over my hammy, fucking in-and-out burger, animal-style, double-double burger king, home of the whopper-eating American airmen. And when you put what I qualify as a silent fart up into the air, you are rubbing it into the faces of those highly trained, skilled, killing, flying foxes. Wow. You know, sir, I, 
I kind of get your point. I see what you're saying. You, you know, you're saying we put all this time and money and effort into training these incredible pilots that can fly these highly advanced war machine airplanes and jets that we've built. And I, I think I get what you're saying. It's an insult to then put an unmanned uh, drone or aircraft into the sky. Well, these 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 men and women that we've trained so well are just sitting on the ground and not being utilized. Bingo, you just got yourself to Shangri-La. Now why don't you take your clothes off and slip into the sparkling emerald waters of eternity and do an underwater fart bubble sailor? <laughs> so, sir, what, what was that? I'm not sure. I think I slipped a little on that one. Sir, I, I just, you know, I, I think you have a bit of a point with what you said. Breathe it in, soldier. Sir, if you could stop doing silent farts into the phone, I think that might be a little uh, repulsive to some of our listeners. Hold, can you just stop with these analogies? We get it. You were in the dry desert. You were... Don't tell me to stand down, soldier. I'm the one giving the orders here. I don't believe you have any stripes or badges. No, I've never been in the military, sir, but... Are you drinking at all? Maybe I is, and maybe I ain't. Sir, I, I, I think I think we we always enjoy your perspective, and I I think we're gonna just let you go. Uh, and and thank you so much. Wait for it. What what, what was that, sir?
Sir, I don't think anyone wants flavor on silent farts. Sir, what are you doing? Sir? Sir? Those are what you call popcorn farts. When they pop around in your underpants like a pair of fucking Chinese salamanders at a North Korean square dance. Sir, are you okay? Those are what you call Morris Code silent farts. Hell, they can save your life if you need to get a message out to your platoon if you're in enemy hands. A Morse code, you should learn how to do that, civilian, in case you're ever trapped. Stop. Stop. What the hell did you just... Did you just do a Morse code... Popcorn, silent popcorn fart? Bingo. And you know what I said? No, I do not know what you said. I said, if you like pina colada, if you like getting caught in the rain, if you're not into health food, and you have half a brain. Sir? <laughs> Sir, what? Sir, can you stop doing the Pina Colada song, Morris Code, with your popcorn silent farts? You're the lady I look for. Come with me, and I'll suck out your brain. Okay, sir, I think we have to go. Thank you for your insight on, on all of this. You know, you're the only person that can really do this. We thank you so much, and uh, Godspeed, sir. Why don't you go suck a shrimp boat right out of Rebel Wilson's 700-foot-wide fucking panty liner? <laughs> Good God, sir. Fuck you, upside-down cake. What the? Fuck you, upside-down cake? What? Oh, my God. What a what an exp- just talking to that guy is it's almost exhausting but what a perspective I mean we are fortunate to have a man who, who is he gone Oh boy wow As I was saying we are fortunate to have a man that has been in the trenches who has who has been in the theater of war who has done his time I mean sometimes he gets a little sidetracked and goes off but but you know you know you're getting the goods when you talk to inspector colonel lieutenant corporal captain sergeant at arms Tom Dowdy and we thank him and that might be the last time we talk to him for a while uh but uh, what what an inspiration what a what a what a hero what a what a uh we, what a man to uh, give his life and service to this country and to its people. Uh, and thank you. Such an honor to talk to you, sir. Although the, the whole Morse code thing was a bit odd. Uh, thank you. Whew. Okay, let's do a commercial, Raj. I need to g- g- assemble my thoughts a little here. That was a kind of out there. And then uh, and then we'll come back on the other side of the break and uh, 
and uh, keep going. All right, thanks. Fresh is a walk through the woods on an early spring morning. Fresh is a gentle breeze that takes you by surprise. Fresh is simple with Summer's Eve, the most convenient disposable douche you can buy. This exclusive one-piece unit means there's nothing to assemble. And it's available in two fragrances, or vinegar and water, the solution doctors recommend. With Summer's Eve, freshness has never been simpler. Okay, let, let's end the show with a little um, su- summer-related thing. This, this is kind of a little... You ever, you ever do something where you're, uh, you're innovative and you feel like you come up with something that's kind of new? And uh, it wasn't kind of out there in the world, and you're you're kind of even proud of yourself. Well, let, let me let me explain here. Yours truly, you know, I I try to be a clever guy sometimes. I like to think of solutions and and figure out problem solving and things like that. So um. So a friend of mine has a has a place down in Florida. And uh, he has his neighbors, and in between the two houses, and he's he's nice enough to let me go down there and spend some time and hang out and fish and swim and stuff like that, you know. Um, and so uh, in between uh, his house and his neighbor's house, his buddy, who I got to know, great guy, um, is this beach. It's probably, uh, I don't know, I'd say 800 feet, okay? It's, it's this really nice beach. And this little little strip of land in between the two houses, um, and during the cold months, like during the winter, uh, the beach is fully exposed. Like it's 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 a really big beach with beautiful, almost white sand on it, and it's just you know how beaches are. It's it's beautiful, but here's the dilemma: this guy uh, has his place in in a part of Florida where in the summer. They get a, a a huge influx of what's called seagrass. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but but all around Florida, there's many areas where the 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 ocean floor is just thick and rampant with with seagrass. This is grass that grows up from the from the sand in the bottom of the ocean, and it comes up probably comes up about twelve inches high, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit a little bit less in some spots. But nonetheless, the, the, uh, in the summer, the, the grass is very active and it's constantly replenishing itself. So it's almost like an old man with his hair falling out. And so I've been down there, and what happens in the summer months, like June, July, August, September, there is so much grass coming out and rising to the top of the water that it forms these islands. It, it, it forms these islands that are literally acres big. I mean, the, the, you'll see islands the size of a football field. And those are just the clumps. Outside of the clumps that have assembled, there's, there's you know, smaller strands and smaller clumps always floating around in the water. It's just everywhere. And it's not pollution. It's not, it's not anything bad. It's, it's just kind of like the way, like, leaves gen- regenerate themselves in the spring and the fall up here on terra firma. You know, leaves die and fall off and then regrow in the spring. Well, this is what's occurring in the ocean. It's actually a healthy thing. The, the grass is, 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 is coming loose or dying or being pulled out, and then it's, it's making way for the new grass. But the side effect of this is this, these massive, I'm talking metric cubic tons 
of seagrass that eventually has to float into the shore and eventually, uh, you know, clumps up huge, like we're talking three feet thick and, you know, who knows how, how wide out from the shoreline it comes out. Um, and not only is it, is it kind of unsightly, it starts to decompose and then it goes from, you know, a nice emerald green to a kind of a dark brown and then it eventually becomes black. And then it, it doesn't really totally smell, but it, it does start to get a little swampy and, and stinky and, you know, it's just unsightly. You know, it's, it's just tons and tons of this dead, soggy seagrass. And uh, for the last number of years that I've been going down to my friend's place, I've seen it and I've like, I said to him, I said, God, man, it, it's, it sucks because you lose your whole beach. That beautiful whole beach in between the two houses is completely covered in two, three feet of this, this horrible seagrass. So I hope I'm painting the right picture for you. And I, and, and so last year I said to him, I said, you know, there's gotta be a way to stop this. I said, you know, everything's on the internet. So I said, there's gotta be a way somebody somewhere has invented something to stop the seagrass, right? From floating in and, and reaching the shore. So I go on the internet and sure enough, there's some company that services like resorts all over the world in Acapulco and Jamaica and Hawaii and some company has made these these big like blue floats, okay? They're, they're, they're like bright navy blue and it's kind of like a pontoon and it's probably about like two feet high and maybe about a foot and a half, two feet wide. And it floats on top of the water on these kind of metal brackets and hanging beneath it in the water, submerged in the water, is like a foot, a foot length or a foot and a half a foot and a half of like what looks like netting. And I said, I knew it. Somebody did it. Somebody, somebody invented, somebody saw this same problem that I saw and somebody invented a way to, to fix it. And so I looked at this stuff online. I went, first of all, you know, the bright blue pontoon is a bit in your face. I was like, ah, oh, man, you know, you put that out in front of your place, and now all of a sudden, instead of just looking out at the ocean, you've got this big blue line, you know? So I didn't really love that. And then I phoned the people just to, just to find out. I said, okay, hey, I've got 800 feet of beach at my friend's place, and how much would it be to uh, buy your stuff and, and put it in and blah, blah, blah? And I guess they charge per 50 feet. And what it came out to roughly was going to be about $22,000, okay? $22,000 for this long strip of, like, seagrass preventer. And not only that, but this thing, uh, he said, and then he said, that's just for the initial thing, but then you've got to set it all up, and then you've got to buy these brackets to join all the pieces together, and that's extra money, and then there's shipping, and there's this and that. So I could tell that $22,000 was probably going to climb up to twenty-five dollars or $30,000 when it was all said and done. I'd probably have to hire some people to put it together and install it. And, and then the other thing is when you have something this elaborate and this expensive, you know, Florida is hurricane land. So if you have a big hurricane coming, 
then you're most likely going to have to go and take all that stuff out of the water, which is 800, 900 feet of stuff, and it's bulky and it's big. And not only that, then you've got to find a place to put it. Where do you put 900 feet of, of blue pontoon that costs $30,000? You, know, you, you don't have a garage. You can't store it up on your balcony. I mean, so, so now you're dealing with the possibility of, of this expensive thing getting washed away or damaged or torn up. And so I, I looked at that and I said, okay, I don't want to go there. And I said, well, what's another solution? What's, what's a way that I could do this? And then I started thinking, I don't well, what about fishing nets? And I just went, well, fishing nets are kind of obscure and oblong and they're, you'd have to cut them and you'd have to, and then I thought, oh, wait a minute. I, I play badminton my whole life. How about badminton? And then I looked online, and badminton nets are kind of thinly made, and they're only, I, they're, they're only like, I think, 20 feet wide or something like that. And I thought, okay, they look a bit flimsy. What about volleyball nets? And then I looked, and volleyball nets are, are even wider, and they're more durable. And then I went, well, wait, how wide are tennis nets? And it turns out tennis nets are like 42 feet wide. They're huge. I, I play tennis all the time. I didn't realize how wide a tennis net was. And then I looked and I also realized that tennis nets have a smaller mesh. You know, volleyball nets have the big mesh. You, you could almost put your head through a, the net of a volleyball net. But tennis nets have a much smaller square and they're super coated because they sit outside. So they put some kind of like very thick, durable coating on it. And it's a thick weave. And I went, oh, well, that's a bonus. And then I realized tennis nets at the top have that big wire stainless steel cable, right? They got that big wire cable that run across the top. And I'm like, well, there you go. And then that wire cable is covered by the white trim. They've got that white kind of plastic cloth coating that goes over the wire cable at the top of a tennis net and then down at the bottom corners of the tennis net they've got all these strings where you tie them off to the poles and I went wait a minute that could be it so I went online and I I said to my friend I'm going to look up tennis nets and I looked at the price and a good quality tennis net is like $62 and I went holy smoke so I started crunching the numbers and I realized you know if I bought like 15 tennis nets, 16 tennis nets for 62 bucks a pop and, you know, a few dollars for shipping from, you know, Amazon.com. I'm looking at like $1,000 right around there versus $22,000. And my friend who, who, who's been down there much longer than me and knows the area and, and, and grew up there actually, he was kind of shaking his head going, I don't know, man. That just sounds, you know, I think if someone was, someone would have done that by now. I said, have you ever heard of anybody doing this? He goes, no, nobody's ever really tried to stop the seagrass. And I said, well, man, I can't, I, I'm tired of looking at your beautiful beach just being, it looks like a garbage dump every summer. I said, let's do this. I said, let's spend a thousand dollars. We'll go like, you know, 30 feet off the beach. We'll, we'll put some, some, some uh, you know, wooden posts into the water. We'll, 
you know, just the same way you'd, you'd put a, a wooden piling into the water if you're building a dock out into the water, right? You, you, you submerge those wooden pilings and you build your dock on it. So instead of going out into the water, we'll go across <coughs> and we'll stretch these, uh, these tennis nets across. And, uh, you know, he thought it was as wacky an idea as I did, but I thought, why not? Why don't we give it a try? He said, for a thousand bucks, we'll, we can eat it. It's not going to kill us. And, and who knows if it works? Holy smokes. You, you get this beautiful beach, blah, blah, blah. And the tennis nets are kind of un, unobtrusive. And so, you know what? We freaking did it. The last, the last, like the last month and a half we've been, we, I've been trying to get down there and we've been working on it and we did it. And we put up like 800 feet of tennis nets from one end of the beach to the other. And these things sit about, I guess tennis nets sit about, I don't know, I think they're about four feet high, maybe, yeah, around four feet, maybe three and a half, four feet high. And we submerge the wooden poles nice and nice and deep into the sand. And they kind of blend in because they look like kind of those marine pilings, that same material you'd see on a dock, right? And we strung these nets across. And they, 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 they worked perfectly. You know, they had that, like I said, they had the strong wire, uh, wire, big wire cable at the top to give it all that strength. And these things are totally durable. And we brought them down to the sand and we tied them up and we stretched them out. And, and these things, are you, you, you want to hear it? They're doing the job. They've literally stopped the seagrass from hitting the beach. This guy has this beautiful beach now. And, of course, you're probably asking yourself, and this is this was our biggest concern right away where it got, well, wait a minute, is this going to affect the marine life? And here's how it works. These nets are not out far enough. They're, they're, out, they're out at a distance. When the tide goes down, the nets are actually not even in the water. They're, they're, they're standing on sand. And then when the tide comes in, the water goes right through the nets and goes to the other side of the nets by, depending on how high the tide is, it could be six feet, it could be 25 feet. But our biggest concern was, are we going to snare any fish? Are we going to get like stingrays and crabs? Are we going to trap birds and turtles? Are we going to, you know, we were worried if any wildlife would get snared in these, in these nets. And so when we first put them up, we just we just did a little part to test it because we didn't want to we didn't want to cause any uh, damage to the ecosystem or hurt the critters. And I'll be damned if nothing like we check those things every day, every night for like a month and a half and not one, not one crab, not one fish. In fact, that the exact opposite. What happened is now when the tide comes in. The fish that are that are able to fit through the holes in the nets swim right through the holes, and they swim around in schools on the beautiful sand where you know the where, where the sand is underneath the water at high tide, and the stingrays are going under the net and the horseshoe crabs and the and so what's happening is all these sea creatures are enjoying a predator-free zone where they're loving it. They're swimming around and there's no seagrass to get in their way and obscure their... Because a lot of these fish and stingrays are bottom feeders, right? So now they've got this clear kind of environment where they can find their food. They're, they're not being blocked by like three feet of ucky seagrass. 
And then sure enough, when the tide goes out, all these critters go back out. They swim back through and under the net. It's amazing. And we've left a few little openings as well where critters, if something did get in and out, it could, it could get back out. And so here's this kooky idea that you'd think it'd be stupid. But I said to my friend, I said, you know, if tennis nets weren't invented for tennis, I think they'd be invented for this exactly because it's like a perfect, a perfect height, a perfect length, the perfect materials. And here's the real kicker, too. It doesn't even look bad. I thought it would be really invasive and, and look horrible. But because the netting in, in, the, uh, in the tennis nets is black, it almost disappears. It almost disappears against the, uh, against the landscape when you're looking from the water. And when you look out, because it's so porous, it's netting, you're not really seeing. It's like cooking through a thick screen almost. But, but most of it's submerged in the water. So you're really only seeing the top part. And then that part, it's in a straight line, so it almost looks like you've put a fence around your, the same way you put a fence around your yard, now you've got what looks like kind of a fence going across the front of the, the place in front of the beach. And then another, another byproduct of this is it's also created a, a safe swimming zone now where if someone wanted to swim at high tide, they could splash around in like, you know, three, four feet of water and not worry about sharks and barracudas and, and other things. But what's really cool is the grass is floating in. It's hitting the netting. And if the tide's going down, it'll drop and it'll accumulate on, on the sea floor. But what happens is when the next tide comes in, the current washes the grass away. So it's not even building up anymore. What happens is the tide washes the grass in, but the currents flow north and south. So it hits the net and then just kind of deflects and gets carried along the net and washes, just keeps going down the coastline. How about that, man? And I said to my buddy, I said, God, we could start an industry here. I don't want to. I just wanted to, I just wanted to help this guy with his beach, but... He can't believe it. You know, he's lived down there for 50, 60 years and nobody's ever done this. And now I, I said to him, I said, geez, I wonder if all the neighbors are suddenly going to see this and start doing this. He goes, he said to me, he goes, you know, my brother lives down there. He lives a little ways down the coast. And guess what? I'm going to do it at my brother's house. And I went, here we go. Here we go. $60 tennis nets. So we'll see what happens, man. But right now, it's really been effective. It's really cool. I don't know if any of you are ever going to be in a position where you're trying to keep seagrass off your property. But there you go, my, my little weird inventive uh, innovation, tennis nets keeping out the seagrass. Uh, Harland, Harland 50, uh, seagrass love. That just, uh, that didn't work. I tried to do like a tennis score thing and it just, it sounded stupid, <laughs> but I tried. Uh, so there you go. It just goes to show if you have kind of a kooky idea or a, a, something that seems illogical or it, it never hurts to try, you know, and, and if it doesn't take a lot of money and a lot of, uh, you know, blood, sweat and tears, why not? But it just goes to show how you can innovate and, and create solutions to weird problems. And, and uh, you know, I'm kind of, in a way, I'm patting myself on the back a little. I'm proud of it.
And so far, so good. Like I said, no, no damage at all to any marine life, and uh, the grass is staying out. The beach is beautiful, and in fact, the marine life, like I said, is thriving. And even on the beach itself, all the critters that inhabit the beach, the crabs and all the little beach critters, they now are, are coming out in droves because they now have a clear space where they can they can mate and they can feed and they can run around and interact. It's, it's just kind of a real cool thing. So... So there you go. I'll end, I'll end the show with a little bit of a boast, and uh, and we'll keep it right there. If you have any, if you have any weird innovations or ideas that you've done, um, feel free to share them. Although I have to say this, we are down. Oh, I hate to talk about it, but uh, you know, Gabriel brought it up earlier with his phone call. Um, he said that. Um, he said that we're, we're running out of shows. We're almost at the end. And even though this is show 998, technically just, there should only be two more shows. Guess what? There's really five more shows because one of, one of the very perceptive pavement pounders realized that I'm not good at keeping track of things so much. And he went through the whole library of the Harlan Highway podcast and realized that somewhere over the course of the years, there was a few where I screwed up the numbers, and there were three episodes that don't really exist. They were never they were never made, and so he pointed that out. And I said, "Well, I want to be true to the thousand mark, and so I am going to make sure we do those three extra. They aren't even extra podcasts; they're just podcasts that got mislabeled or overlooked. So even though we're at nine ninety eight, we're going to end up at uh, nine. What we'll probably end up at a thousand and three. And even though it says a thousand and three, because of my my inability to uh, you know number things, technically it will still be a thousand episodes. So uh, we'll talk about that more as we go along. Um, but uh, yeah, it is kind of sad. We're drawn drawn near to the end here, gang. Uh, but we're not done yet. So let's keep enjoying, and uh, and uh, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Lots to think about. Um, and uh, and uh, thank you for listening. Thanks for your phone calls. And uh, until next time, chicken chow mein, baby.